All right. Uh, before I get into it, have a few favorite stories. You know, we've been on this thing, especially Jessica, about God, you're God's favorite. All right. If you if you believe that, say amen. Uh, you know, the word amen actually just means I believe. So anytime you say a prayer, you, you can say, I believe. Father, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. I believe. Uh, it's good to end it that way because amen becomes, you know, just kind of like a ritual for us. But anyways, it's besides the point. And, uh, but uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Favorite testimonies. All right. So we've been hammering home this, this message about your God's favorite. And it's one of those things that's the mystery of heaven. And, and you don't, there's just certain things you can't fully understand until you're in that season of life. And so as a parent, you can understand like God having more than one favorite. And, uh, because you, we've got three favorites back there because they're so unique, so different and beautiful in the way that they, God made them. But, uh, Jessica has, you know, this is something that's really, um, a powerful word in her that it like breeds, it like starts multiplying whenever she shares it. And, but she's just kind of always known this her whole life where, yeah, I'm God's favorite. I'm, I was, I'm my, my dad's favorite. And, and, uh, the, the Yukon that we got a couple years ago, we were in the market for one and we, we wanted a beige one. We didn't ask for tricked out rims, but we did. That was a plus. Uh, but, uh, man, those things will shine when they're clean. But, uh, so anyways, we, we're, we were praying about, just praying about that. And Jessica was in Publix one day and this isn't a name it or claim it thing. I'm going to talk about this real briefly, but it's, we were walking through the, uh, or she, Jessica was walking through Publix, and she saw a beige Yukon, and she said, God, I want that car, and I, w- I want it by March. This was 2014. Now, the thing is, the key about the attitude of your heart is that uh, you're not necessarily demanding it from God, and you're not going to get upset with him if he doesn't do what you want. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, hey, God, I'm asking for a favor, <laughs> because you're his favor it. So, so, anyways, so we uh, were shopping for Yukons and all that and uh, went to the dealership, didn't work out, and then her dad called and said, hey, I'm at this auto auction and they've got, was it black and gray? Black and silver. He's like, black or silver Yukon? And it's, it was an amazing price. And we're like, silver. You know, it's the closest color to beige that we could get. And so we're like, cool, we're getting a Yukon. But, you know, we're just happy that we got this amazing deal. Her dad drives in the driveway and it's beige. And we're, we're like, is your, does your dad know the color spectrum? I mean, because, but, uh, and, but it was beige. It had been owned by a limousine company. So that's why it had the fancy rims on it. And, uh, was kept, yeah, super dark tent. I mean, like, we're going to tote presidents around in that thing. But uh, it was kept really nice because a limousine company had it beforehand. So that was cool. And I've just, I've, I'm coming into it more and more where I'm God's favorite. So this past weekend, I, uh, I've been building a horse fence because we're getting horses and goats and some chickens. And I've never done this before. And it's uh, anything, it was a huge task, and I'm just kind of, the whole thing, I'm like overwhelmed with it, you know, I'm just like, man, I do not know what I'm doing, but uh, the Lord sent some help, he sent this man named Hector, who's a foreman of a fence crew, just to come out on Saturday, paid him to help out, it was a huge help, and then yesterday, I was going to finish it up, and I was like, Lord, I want this done, I'm tired of chipping away at it every day after work. I want it done today, and, but it was supposed to start raining at 11 a.m. I was like, Lord, I don't mind the rain. Just push it back. Push it back. I'm just asking you for a favor. You don't, it doesn't have to happen. I'm just saying, can you push it back? So 11 a.m. comes. It's like br- 
you know, barely any clouds in the sky. I looked at the weather. I was like, oh, it's pushed back to two. Nice. Two o'clock rolls around. There's no rain. Check the weather. It's been pushed back to five. Okay. And so we get it done by five. As soon as we got done, it started sprinkling. And uh, I was like, Lord, I'm your favorite. I'm your favorite. Some of y'all, Bubba, that was, some of y'all may know Bubba. Bubba had a favorite moment this weekend too, where God, he was asking, he's like, God, I just, I need a phone and uh, I want a really nice iPhone 4. And uh, he was walking down the street and this guy stopped and said, hey man, I need to give you my phone. God just told me to give you my phone. And, he, and it was an iPhone 5S. Because God is always in the upgrade business. And so uh, and Bubba's like, man, I can't take that. He's like, no, man, God told me to. I can get another one. Here. So Bubba got him. I said, Bubba, that's your God's favorite, Bubba. And he, and he was just blown away by it, man. Blown away. He came in. And I, he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm good. I said, how are you? He says, I'm better. I was like, that's good. He's like, no, I mean, like, better than you. I was like, I was like I'll take that too, man. I'm glad you're better than me. So, all right. Uh, so that's just some good news. A few announcements. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, is a joint service with Athens Link Fellowship. It's going to be at 10.50 at uh, 10.50 a.m. at 10.50 Baxter Street. Okay? So that's where the Surpresa Conference was at, if you were into that. But we will not be here. We're going to send out an email. If you're not on the email list, you, you want a reminder, uh, then we, you need to ask Jesse how to get on the email list. But next Sunday, joint service starts at 1050, probably get done around 1230, 1 o'clock. <laughs> All right. Um, on, Ath on April 9th, there's going to be what's called an Athens Now prayer meeting. How many of y'all have heard of uh, Azusa Now, all right, in L.A. that's going on? So there's a few of us from uh, The Awakening that are going, but Steve Smith is heading up a prayer meeting that's going to coincide on that same day. It's going Athens Now because Azusa Now is about rekindling the revival fires of Azusa that happened 110 years ago. And that birthed really the Pentecostal movement and sent so many missionaries into the world and the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement, were really all birthed out of this. And it's a, uh, the focus is really on the unity of the church and also racial reconciliation because the, uh, the guy that was the catalyst for the Azusa revival was a man named William Seymour. And uh, it was a black man who could only see out of one eye, was basically outcast, but God used to start this revival that was uh, one of the most powerful in history. And so, uh, if you want to be a part of that, you can't make it to L.A., just make it to Baxter Street, all right? From 5 to 7, April 9th on Saturday, it's at Athens Links Building, 1050 Baxter Street. Now, one of the things I also want to talk about is just, we're going to triple the risk this year, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, triple the risk, all right? And you're like, now, what am I risking? I'm I don't know what I just told my neighbor. So, uh, so we, we want to triple the risk in worship. We want to triple the risk in, in the prophetic, in giving people words of encouragement, people words of destiny, and, and calling out the treasure in them. We want to triple the risk in evangelism. You know, there, a neighbor boy came over to the yard yesterday while we were working on the fence, and uh, this boy's name's Cross. And I'm like, man, I got it. This, this kid was born for the gospel. And so, uh, so he came over there, and I was just talking to him. I said, I was like, Cross, do you, uh, you go to church anywhere, man? And he's like, yeah, I go to Centennial Baptist with some neighbors. And uh, I said, well, I just was calling out all these things about him. I said, man, you're such a good kid, and you got courage, and I don't want you, and I told him my testimony. I was like, man, I didn't even give Jesus, like, a chance until I was 23. And uh, I said, you've, don't let, he's about to go into high school. I said, man, you go into high school, there's going to be all these temptations. 
There's going to be pornography. There's going to be sex. There's going to be drugs. And it's not this, nothing even comes close to Jesus, man. And, uh, and I said, and you, like, God has set you apart, man. There's like, he's got, like, really good plans for your life. And I just want you to know that. And I love the way that, I said, you're courageous. I love the way you play with my son. You're, you're a good kid. I just kept calling him out because when you call it, when somebody believes they're a good kid, they're going to act good. Am I right? If you believe you're a bad kid, you're going to act bad. So I just I t- told them over and over yesterday, like, man, you're a good kid, Cross. You're a good kid. And I said, hey, I think we're going to need some help with these horses, man. Who's, we're going to go out of town. I need somebody to feed them. So you're going to have to come over here and get familiar with these horses. He said, I'll feed them. I'll feed them. <laughs> and, uh, and just and I, before he left, I just gave him a hug, and I just told him, again, I said, you're a good kid. You're a good kid. And uh, sometimes people just want to know that. It doesn't mean it. You know, even people that don't know Jesus it's okay to call him a good person, a good man, because it doesn't mean they're made righteous yet. Righteous and good, righteousness and goodness is a different thing. But I, I, like, I, I, I tell people that because it's calling them good is going to draw them to goodness. You know what I'm saying? It's going to draw them to Jesus if you call out the, the good things in their life. So we're going to triple the risk in the prophetic evangelism and worship and everything else that is scary. And so uh, it's not really scary. It's just renewing our minds to what the truth is. Because if, if God is for you, who can be against you? What can man do to you? So it's renewing our minds to that. So we'll keep talking about tripling the risk. So before we got into this message, I just wanted to let you guys know that. Um, so Travis and I weren't here last week. And many of you weren't here, but that's okay. We totally understand. It was spring break. Jesse had an amazing word about performance orientation, and it's on the website, and you guys need to hear it. It's just really good. And Travis and I were in Texas. We were in Fort Worth. We had a board meeting, and that was fun. So it was probably our most refreshing trip to Texas that we've had in six years. It was just really, really good. And... I think it's important for you guys to know that we have people that invest in us, that pour into us, that empower us, that help us with direction and those kind of things because we don't, you know, we do follow the breadcrumbs, so we don't always know what's next. We hardly ever know what's next. When we say triple the risk, we're like, and to be continued, dot, dot, dot. Uh, So it's not, we do have vision, but we don't know all the exact ways we're getting to these abundant things. So um, while we were there, uh, Steve and Marcy Fish and Chris and Amber White, we spent lots of time with them. And some of you are like, I don't know who that is. It's okay that you don't, but we just, they really invested in us. And one of the things that kept coming up was just the, the risk that we will take and the encounters that people will have with the Lord through those that gather with us on Sundays. And so it was a really great time. We missed being here, but I just wanted you guys to know kind of what we were doing. And we are doing kind of a series on keys to abundant life. And the, all those sermons can be found on the website. And this week was my week to preach about forgiveness, repentance, and restitution. But Travis got this word and preached at Convergence last week. And it was so good. I was like, you have to preach that at the awakening. We can't like not have that. And it's just real. There's a lot of life on it. So I'm going to pray for us before he gets started preaching. And uh, because I just believe there's a lot of life on this and it kind of has some direction as far as where we're going as a body, because um, we, you know, the Lord has called the awakening to be the tip of the spear and to do some powerful things in the city. So it's really exciting. So, Father, I just thank you for Travis. I thank you for the things that you've put in his heart for this morning. I thank you for the way that he leads this community. I thank you for the passion inside of him. I thank you for the father that you've made him because he's a son. I thank you for the way that he looks at you. I just pray this morning that you will allow the words that that you have for this community, the words that you have for us as a body, for this city, that you allow those words to come through, Travis, and fall on our hearts and, and allow us to have ears to hear and a mind to conceive what you're doing, Father. We just thank you. Amen. Thank you, baby. So I want to talk about climbing the tree this morning, uh, the story of Zacchaeus. I love the story of Zacchaeus, man. 
I love it. It's not just a uh, cute kid song. It's a powerful lesson, but just getting to that place of anything to see Jesus. Um, I actually want to start in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This ties into Zacchaeus because the story of Zacchaeus is really almost, it's about mind renewal. And uh, it's about choices that Zacchaeus made and even choices that Jesus made in regards to even the, the, the pressure that was in that environment of the story of Zacchaeus. The pressure of the crowd, the pressure of the Pharisees, the pressure of the, the disciples and everything that they thought about Jesus and, and Zacchaeus in that situation. And so one of the keys, though, about uh, this scripture is that you really have to, you need, the Holy, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you really know what it means to be dead <laughs> in Christ, that you, you have died, but your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so you're seated at the Ephesians 1 through uh, verse 3 says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It goes on later in the, the, the book that says that you're seated at the right hand of God in Christ. So what does that mean? Think about sitting, sitting at the right hand of God. I want you to close your eyes. Imagine yourself if you can. You can't really do it justice, but imagine sitting at the right hand of God and, and looking out on the horizon and, and being seated in heaven, being in that environment, being in that kingdom, and living from that place seated at Father's right hand where he's always within reach. All right, you can open your eyes. But just, it's just things to, that can, you can take that into your devotional times with God. It's like, man, I'm going to go where I'm actually seated at right now, at the right hand of the Father. You might, everybody might have a different uh, chair that they're sitting in bes beside the Lord. You know, I just saw my chair. It was a, it's a throne, but it was made of just like really ordinary looking wood. And I'm just, it's just like that, the chair of humility. <laughs> that's where, that's where you're seated in, at the right hand of God. All right. So what does it mean to seek things above? Because it's so, that's one of those things that, man, we just need to seek things above. But what does that actually look like? Practically, how do you seek things above? And so I asked the Lord that question, and then a few weeks ago, he just, he told me this. He said, take, climb, take time to climb the tree. Take time to climb the ladder. Be like Zacchaeus and climb the tree of humility to see the Lord. That's what made me, st I went back and read the Zacchaeus story after this. And he said, rise above the noise of the mob, the crowd, the earthly clamor. Clarity and vision is in the tree. The ladder to heaven is the covenant I made with you and swore to uphold by the shedding of my blood is the ladder to heaven is the cross. Okay? The ladder to heaven is the cross. So you take time to climb the tree. Now, part of dying is found actually in 1 Corinthians 13. We all know that 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous love chapter of the Bible. Love is patient, love is kind, and it goes on and on and on. I want to focus on the last few verses here. It says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I've been fully known. But now faith, hope, Love about these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so what love does is it compels us to put childish things away. It compels us to that place where our old man has died, and the only thing that remains in us is faith, hope, and love. That's the only thing that remains in us. And so when our kids were really young, 
they, you know, when they're young and they, they're upset and you can't please them, you can't get them to be quiet, you can't, uh, they're just not happy and they don't have a good way to communicate with you other than just blaring at the top. They're like, ah, 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 ah. I mean, hours, imagine that you're just like frazzled and you're like, oh man, you're frustrated. I'm trying everything. I'm a dad. I'm brand new at this. I don't know what to do, you know. And and so, I was uh, I was having these thoughts of just like being really angry with with these small little children that God had given me. And I was just like, God, I don't even want to think like this. So I went to go see a prayer counselor just to because I was like, I mean, I probably got some inner healing I need need to to do. And uh, and so. I was telling her what was going on. I was like, yeah, they'll throw a fit. And then I get mad and I'm like, you know, I'm raising my voice at them. And, and she went, oh, so you're the one throwing a tantrum. And I just was like, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you put it that way. Yeah, I am throwing a tantrum. Okay. And, uh, and so it was that little boy inside Travis that gets, you know, when, we, when we're kids, you get frustrated, you throw a fit. And so that I needed to put away that childish way of behaving. Now, we're, it's childish and childlike are two different things. The childish things are the, uh, are the things like throwing fits and tantrums and being greedy and not sharing and all that kind of stuff. And the, but the childlikeness is the simplicity and the trust and the believing and the dependency that we need to have upon Jesus. And so that's what these keys to abundant life is. It's putting childish things away, old ways of thinking that are holding you back. They're holding you back in your relationship with God. They're holding you back in your relationships with others. You know, and for me, that's, all, that's now a red flag for me. It's like, am I throwing a fit right now? If, something's, if something upsets me, I'm like, am I throwing a fit right now? And if I am, I need to take it to Jesus. It's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, but one of the, the first key to seeking things above is, is just taking time to listen, even when the Lord said, take time to climb the tree. And so you have Jesus, there's the expectation of the crowd. They're like, you're the Messiah. We're going to anoint you king, and we're gonna, you're going to overthrow the Roman government. And it's going to be great and all the while you're performing signs and wonders. It's David all over again. And then you have the sinners, you know, who they know one thing about Jesus. You got the disciples. They've got an expectation about Jesus. You got the Pharisees. They're wanting to kill Jesus. And the whole, amidst all this pressure, Jesus does this. He, he steps back and he takes time to listen to the Father. And so even right now, in our country, there is so much pressure, especially in the political, religious arena. It's just lots and lots of, like, pressure, tension. And so you, we got to take time to step back and, like, listen to God. Just take time to step back. So one of the keys to renewing your mind and just thinking on those things above is just, just take a time out. <laughs> All right, Lord, what are you saying about this? What are your, what's your heart? So we take time to listen. Going back to the child, putting childish things away, I've told this account, if you're ever a part of the awakening, you're probably going to hear this story like 20 to 30 times in the history of the church that, you know, as you're, long as you're, you go here. But in 2004, there was a guy named Jack Frost who has a ministry, yeah, called, you know, basically experiencing the Father's love where uh, Matthew 28 says, baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God, his heart is for us to know the Holy Spirit, have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, have an encounter with Jesus, and, and know the Father as a good father. And so uh, what Jack Frost believed is that We've had a reformation of grace in the, in the revelation of Jesus and what he's done when Martin Luther and, and Calvin and those guys, okay? Azusa Street, 
was an advent of the power of the Holy Spirit and knowing what the Holy Spirit can do and that he's a person and that he's real and he's here on the earth and he's moving and active. And what I believe and what something that Jack Frost would share on is that this, this final move of, the, of God that's going to bring in a billion-person harvest is the revelation of the Father's love. And so I was on the ministry team, and, and uh, me and Jessica, y'all may have experienced this here at the Awakening, but it's just hug ministry. Jack Frost was like, listen, just hug people. We'd hug people, and they'd be like, oh, crying, snotting. Man, my, my shirt was completely wet with snot and tears. It's it usually one side because I was bringing them one side, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and so ministry time was winding down, and I went and sat on, like, the second row. And uh, Jack played this song by Dennis Jernigan called Daddy's Song. And uh, it's, it's basically a lullaby. It's a song I sing to my kids to this day ever since they've, and they, they call it Daddy's Song because that's the song I sing to them. And it's, it's basically this lullaby. I love you, oh, how I love you. And he started playing that, and it's, the sound wasn't like it was coming from the speakers. It was like it was coming from inside my spirit, man. And like going out my ears. And then I felt, I started, I started doing this. How many of y'all, when you try to hold back crying, you, your shoulders do this. You're not, you're not doing this, you're doing this. <laughs> and so Jessica was like, what, what's wrong? I, was like, I don't know. And uh, all of a sudden it's like, it felt like honey came down on my head and just started slowly covering my body. And I just went into this wailing. I was like, ah! I mean, I'm not exaggerating. And everybody's like getting up from ministry time and they're, they're like, whoa, what's going on over there? And this is another key for breakthrough is you can't, you look at people who got healed by Jesus, they didn't care what other people thought. They humbled themselves I was like, yeah, Jesus, you can spit in my eye. You can make mud. Yeah, Jesus, I'm going to grab your, your robe because I'm so desperate. Yeah, Jesus, I'll eat scraps from your table. Yeah, yeah. That's me. I'll take that. And so that's the attitude you got to have if you want to see a breakthrough in your life. You can't be like, all right, God, here's my terms. I'm going to slide them across the table, and you can meet me on these terms. He doesn't work that way. He's still God and Lord. All right. So anyways, I'm wailing. I wasn't even thinking about anybody anyways. It wasn't like I was overcoming some great fear of man. I couldn't control it. So I was wailing and this guy, Gary Galloway, was one of our elders, came over there and he hugged me and I just I snotted all over his shirt. I mean he was drenched. And you know, he he was and God sent probably the kindest man in our church over there to come and comfort me. And then I was I started kinda you know, recovering a little bit. And then Jack Frost came over. It was round two. And he held me, and I went, ah! And he held me, and he said something y'all have heard me say many times before. He said, you don't have to be a big boy with a little father anymore. Now you can just be a little boy with a great big father. Niagara Falls all, all over again. And so I had this amazing encounter. I go home, and... Holy Spirit audibly sings me to sleep that night. Most crazy thing I've ever, ever had happen to me. I was laying in my bed, and I was like, Jessica, do you hear, do you hear the Lord? She's like, no, babe, what's going on? And she, I was like, he's singing me to sleep. And it was audibly, I fell asleep to the Holy Spirit singing me to sleep that night. And so we go back to the conference the next day, and me and Jessica get in the fight. And I'm like, wait, wait time out. I just got baptized in love yesterday. I thought I was perfected. I thought we, this fight thing wasn't going to happen anymore. What in the world happened? What actually was happening was love was working. Love was at work in my heart, and he's pushing 
anything that wasn't faith, hope, and love out. He's like, man, we got, we got to sweep this out. By the way, this just reminded me in worship, the Lord, I had this picture of, I was at a poker table, and the Lord said, push all the chips in. And I pushed all the chips in, and I, and I unfolded my cards, and it was a royal flush. And the Lord said, I'm flushing out everything to where just royalty remains. And so that's a word for us as a church. So anyways, the, lo the love of the Lord flushes out everything. That's what love does. It puts away childish things. It puts away childish things. And so I'm just, so Lord's like, Travis, you know, this, the encounter doesn't replace the process. The encounter is, helps give you basically a, a place to launch out into the process from. The encounter doesn't change, doesn't replace the process. And so I thought, and that's kind of why I started believing day one. I was like, man, I just got baptized in love. Um, pretty much almost perfected. I mean, I maybe here and there got some problems, but I just, I just got baptized in love. I just got sung by the Holy, to by the Holy Spirit. You know, that's crazy. But the next day we're fighting, bad fight. Not just a disagreement, like, mm, there's tension. And so uh, Jack Frost comes a year later, 2005, and he's, he comes in and he, he calls just a men's only meeting for whatever reason. And we, uh, he just probably knew the Lord had some business to do with the men. So he called all the men down to the front. And he's, he's going down the line praying all, all over all of us. And I was just like, just hit me up, Jack. Here we go. Come on, prophetic word, blast me. Put your mantle on me. Call me forth as your son. Take me on your intergalactic ministry. Give me the nations. He, he's coming down. He gets his hands on me. I'm just like, I'm ready, man. Just go ahead and take your shirt off. Put it on me. And he said, Father. This is how he talks. Father. Remove the air of superiority and pride off of this man. <laughs> and then he just goes down to the next guy. I was like, wait, you forgot the encouraging word. And uh, I was just like, for three days, I was really devastated by that. I, just, I was walking around, I was asking the Lord, I was like, is it true what Jack said? God, was that true? Was that a word from you? I've got to know. Because if it's true, I'm heartbroken. And the Lord said, Travis, you've been walking around like the sonship police. And you've been pointing the finger. And so I saw myself where I was, even I wasn't trying to do this, but just because of my, the childish ways that were still in me, this is the way I was behaving. I was going to, I was just in my, in, in my heart, I was like, oh, that guy's a son, orphan, getting there, orphan son, orphan, uh, definitely orphan, you know, whatever. And I was just like, because I had had an encounter. I'd gotten baptized in love. I'd had the Holy Spirit sing audibly to me, but it didn't replace the fact that I needed to grow up. And so that's the call to every single one of us. It's the call to grow up, to put the childish things away. And that's where you got to renew your mind. That's where you got to be seated at the right hand of God where there's, there's no condemnation. And so the greatest source, so from the same source that I experienced like the most amazing baptism of love was the same source of the, probably the greatest rebuke I've ever received. And it was both the love of the Lord. Because Hebrews 12 says that he disciplines those whom he considers what? Sons. And at first it's sorrowful. But in the end, reaps the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So if you're not willing to go through the sorrow of sonship, there's no, there's no glory. And that, that sorrow is just that, oh man, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to, but that's okay. When we left uh, Convergence Church, I had uh, 
three really spiritual fathers in my life from that time. Steve Fish was one of them, Tom Dermont, Rick Liggett. And Steve was really pouring into my life at that time that so much so I was like, all right, we're leaving Convergence. We're about to move to Georgia. I want to make sure that I honor Tom and Rick well because I assumed that Steve knew how much I, I loved him and felt about him. So we're saying our goodbyes, and I'm just like, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you so much, Rick. And Steve, you're great too. And, uh, and so like, two days later, Marcy and Steve, they said, hey, can we, can we talk to you? And we're like, yeah. And they came, and they, they had been under, uh, undergoing a lot of misunderstanding in the church about people saying Steve's not a father, Steve's not this, which is the exact opposite of what was true and what we experienced. Steve had fathered me so well, but I had gone so overboard to make sure these other two guys were, were recognized that I actually really diminished Steve, and it, it just hurt Steve. And I was just like, thank you for telling me. I was like, you want me to write an email to the whole church? <laughs> I was like, I want to make up. Please let me know. And it propelled our relationship. Like, we got much closer after that. But it was after that confrontation. It was after the sting of like, oh, man, I hurt Steve. And so it's, it can be sorrowful in the, in the first. The second key is just to climb the tree. And what this means is you climb the tree of the cross. Every thought about yourself that doesn't line up with heaven is trespassing on blood-bought ground. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's trespassing. And you've got to look at it that way. You've got to, there's a side of you in the Holy Spirit that's a warrior that is militant against the things of the devil. All right? So we're going to read the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, it said, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Zach, were you, uh, something happened to the... They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Hallelujah. So what had gotten Zacchaeus to this point? Anybody else? Mouth been getting dried out by pollen. All right. So he was a chief tax collector. So tax collectors in and of themselves were, were hated. They're seen as tra traitors. They collected money for the Roman government. And say the Roman government wanted 10%, the tax collectors would take an extra 10% for themselves. And there's nothing that you could do about it because the tax collectors were backed by the Roman government. So not only were they stealing, but they were on the Roman side. They were, they were seen as traitors. They were hated. And tax collector was synonymous with sinner. Okay? Now, Zacchaeus was chief tax collector. That meant he was regional manager. So he was very rich. That's why it mentioned that because he's probably getting a cut from all the other tax collectors that were underneath him. So he was like uber-hated. So despite being rich, he was probably the loneliest man in Jericho. He was seen as a traitor. So imagine you're Zacchaeus. You're filthy rich, but nobody likes you. <laughs> you have no community. Everybody hurls insults at you everywhere you go. And uh, I imagine when Zacchaeus went home and he had his pillow that was stuffed with $20 bills that they didn't come for him very much. So he was a, very, he was a lonely man. And I think at this point where he meets Jesus, is he's come to the end of his rope. He's seen that this money is not 
doing anything for me. So maybe you heard rumors of how Jesus had ate with sinners and outcasts. Maybe Zacchaeus heard about Levi, who became Matthew. He was a tax collector. He's like, you know what? I heard that there's a disciple that was a tax collector. So maybe there's a chance. You're just like, you know, Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dunner. So you're saying there's a chance. That's what he's thinking. Dumb and dumber, not dumb and dunner. All right, that's what I said. I got my English teacher up here, Kimberly. Um, so key actions of Zacchaeus. He ran ahead of the crowd because he couldn't see Jesus on account of the crowd. Now, how many times is it hard to see Jesus because of the crowd? And what I mean by this is like the noise of the world. Hey, you got you to believe this. You got to do that. You got to believe this. You got to do that. And, and it's the noise of the crowd. It's the pressure of the crowd. And, it's, it, and Jesus gets lost in there sometimes. And so this is where you have to climb the tree. You have to climb the cross. So he was small in stature. I believe Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus couldn't see over the crowd, but I also believe it represented even how he saw himself. I think he saw himself as small and ins insignificant, that his life didn't matter. He was just a rich guy. He wasn't making any difference in anybody's lives. He was, he was hated. But he was insignificant. If you see yourself as insignificant, you're not in agreement with the Father. You're not a worm. You're a, you're a son. You're a daughter. So how many times does the crowd blur or obstruct our, our vision of Jesus? And how many times does the fear of man hold us back from having an encounter with God? This was the key for Zacchaeus. He finally got to a point where he was like, I don't care anymore. I don't care. And he went and climbed the tree, and he said he ran on ahead. Now, to run ahead of the crowd, the, you have to, first of all, if you ran if you were a man of, sta of social status, you had to, if you ran, it meant that you didn't trust God to bring something to you. And so it was shameful. It's like, oh man, look at that guy running. He doesn't trust God. The second shameful thing is to show your ankles. And so to run, you have to gird yourself. You can't run in those robes. So he had to gird himself to run. This is just like the prodigal father in Luke 15. So he ran out to his son. Now, this guy was like one of, he was like chief of the village. And he ran out to meet his son, and he girded himself. So he took shame upon himself to receive his son. And so Zacchaeus, is he's, he's humbling himself. This running ahead, is, is a lot's going on. It's, it's not just he climbed a tree. He's, he ran on ahead, he girded himself, and he's humbling himself even in that running. Second, he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Now, the sycamore tree produces a, very, a poor type of fig. It's not the, the type of fig that humans would eat, okay? They fed it to animals, and they fed it to pigs. And so, you know, every good Jew doesn't eat pork. And so they, would, they saw Zacchaeus climb a sycamore fig tree, and they're like, look at that's a pig feeder. He's, he's a pig feeder. Now, does anybody else remember somebody who fed pigs in Luke 15, the prodigal son? He's a pig feeder. It's, again, another way that Zacchaeus knew this. He's like, man, I'm going to climb like this, you know, band tree here. I'm going to run all just to see Jesus. And Jesus knew what was going on as well. So Jesus calls out Zacchaeus by name, despite apparently having never met him before. Have you ever asked God just to say your name? There is a, uh, there's a story about Martin Luther King. He had received a death threat on the telephone. He said, we're going to kill you, we're going to kill your family. And they hung up. And he was praying at the table, dinner, dinner table, and uh, he said, Lord, I just need to hear you say my name. And it, he heard the Lord speak back. He said, never alone, Martin. Never alone, Martin. And so sometimes you just need to know God knows your name, that he sees you. That's why we do, that's why we prophesy. 
you know, when somebody mentions something about your life that they should have no idea about, it's like, God sees me. God knows. He cares. He loves me. And so Jesus just called him by name, Zacchaeus. I know you, man. I've been waiting for you. The Lord told me you're going to be at this a man named Zacchaeus is going to be in a tree. Come on down. I got to eat with you. Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully. And Jesus broke bread with Zacchaeus and shared in a covenant of salt with him that uh, basically pronounces to the whole community, this man's forgiven. When you, have a, when you share in a covenant of salt, you take a piece of bread, you've got like this little saucer that's got salt water solution type thing. It's just water and salt. You take your piece of bread, you and your guest, you dip it in at the same time, and you eat. And that's a sign of saying, your friends are my friends. Your enemies are my enemies. All grievances that we had before are over and done with. They're forgiven. And even just receiving hospitality from Zacchaeus was a sign in and of itself that he forgives this man. So it's the declaration to the whole community that Jesus forgives Zacchaeus. All the while, they're ready. You know, they're ready. They're just like this. Every time Zacchaeus walked by, traitor, traitor, pig feeder. And Jesus is like, man, I want to eat with you. I want to eat with you. So we don't go forward by looking backward, and we aren't called to fix an old life, but to find a new one. And so the new, the new life, part of that old man dying is just not, we're not trying to resurrect the old man. He's dead. The new man that we've been, that we've been given, he's the one that comes forth that we want to come forth. Now this is uh, even part of what Jessica was going to share on today originally, but it's the act of restitution. And this is a huge, huge key in restoration in horizontal relationships. All right? So this is, this is a big deal to, to me at least, and I think to the Lord. But restitution is huge. So Zacchaeus' repentance was a, was a true repentance that bore fruit. You remember John the Baptist told the Pharisees, he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's like, because they were coming down and getting bapt- even baptized by him and all this, but they, they weren't changing their ways. So it wasn't true repentance. And so Zacchaeus had actions that bore fruit. He gave over half of his possessions to the poor, and then he said he gave fourfold anything that he had stolen back to whom he had stolen it from. Imagine that. Who knows how many years he's been a tax collector. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a huge sacrifice on his part. So it cost him something to restore trust in the community. It, you know, forgiveness is free, but trust costs you something. You have to, you have to earn trust back. If, you know, uh, marriages that have had adultery, there's got to be trust that's restored. It's just not, oh, I forgive you. Yeah, I trust you, you know, going out with all your buddies, drinking. Yeah, go, go back to do that. No, he's, he's got to be like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that anymore. It got me in trouble. And so you build that trust through restitution, and uh, this is what Zacchaeus is doing. And so they saw this action. It's, it's, they're, they're trusting Zacchaeus again. And I, just to use an example, if I – a couple examples. If I walk up to Jessica and I step on her foot, and I'm like, oh, baby, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to step on your foot. I got size 14s, easy for me to do. And then I walk up to her again, and I'm like, I step on her foot, and I'm like, darling, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Third time, step on her foot again, I'm like, I, I do not know what's wrong with me today, but I'm stepping on your foot. And every time she's like, I forgive you, honey, it's okay, it's no big deal. But the fourth time I come to her, she might do this. Hey, what, hey, what do you need, babe? It's not that she doesn't forgive me. She just had her toe stepped on three times in a row. So she's like a little, not fully trusting my 14s are going to miss her foot. And so if I, if I had a lawnmower and you came over and you're like, I, Travis, I need to borrow your lawnmower. Matt said, Travis, I need to borrow your lawnmower. I was like, sure, man, go borrow it. Matt's cutting his lawn. It breaks while he's cutting his lawn. And he brings it back. He's like, dude, I was cutting my, my grass. The lawnmower broke sorry and gave me the broken lawnmower back I would be like oh yeah okay and uh 
But then I'd, I'd be thinking, I was like, he ain't never borrowing anything of mine again. But now Matt bars my lawnmower, cuts his grass, it breaks while he's cutting the grass. And then he goes, gets it fixed, and brings it back to me. He says, man, it broke while I was cutting grass. I got it fixed. Here's your lawnmower back. I would be like, okay, cool, man. Thanks for doing that. Sorry it broke on you. But my, my lawnmower has still lost some value. All right. Now, Matt bars my lawnmower, cuts his grass, it breaks. He gets the lawnmower fixed, and then he buys me a weed eater. Comes back, says, man, here's the lawnmower, it broke, I fixed it. Here's a weed eater just to, you know, because I'm, I'm sorry I ran over that stump, it broke the blade. I'm sorry, man. I was like, dude, you can borrow my, my lawnmower anytime you want to. <laughs> because it cost him something to restore what was broken. And so that's the same in our relationships. It costs you something to restore what was broken. My dad, when we used to have to borrow his car to tow the trailer, he might have had a quarter of gas in the car. And I may have driven it only 10 miles, but I would fill his gas tank back up all the way because I wanted him to know, Dad, I appreciate this. And guess what dad would do every time? He's like, man, you can borrow my car anytime you want to. But if, I, if, if he had it on a full tank and I gave it to him on a quarter of a tank, he'd be like, thanks for letting me borrow the car. And you get back in there and you're like, oh, shh. all right. It cost him something to let me borrow his car, his car. That doesn't make sense, does it? And so it should, restitution means it costs you something to restore the relationship. I was at, when I worked at the Omni, a co-worker, um, I had said something hurtful to her that was totally unintentional. I was joking around with her, but it hurt her. And I immediately knew it kind of hurt her. And I was just like, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, Lisa. Would you forgive me? I, I know that hurt. She's like, no, we're cool. We're cool. And you could kind of tell she was still sting, stung by it. I was like, Lisa, please, I'm, I'm sorry. I really am. No, we're good. We're good. No, you're not. You could tell. You, you know, it's just like... Uh, no, we're not good. <laughs> so I, she's uh, eats very healthy and everything. And so I went to Earth Fair, got her a gift card, and got her a, a, a normal, regular card. I wrote in the card just telling her how amazing she is. And she's not a believer, okay? I give her the card. I give her the gift card. I was like, listen, I know this may not be a big deal to you, but it is to me. And I, I really want you to know I'm sorry that I hurt you, because it's definitely not in my heart to do that. She's like, Travis, you didn't have to do that. Wow, a gift card. <sighs> Thank you. And she, like, gave me a hug. And she just saw that it, I was willing it cost, to cost me something to restore that relationship. And sometimes the most powerful testimony you can have as a Christian is not being right all the time, but just saying, asking for forgiveness. And so, because you're not going to be right all the time. But you actually believe what you believe and, and walk it out. That can be an even a more powerful witness to others. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he pays five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Now, why is this important? What did Zacchaeus restore fourfold? Everything he had stolen. It's not by coincidence that it's when you steal or damage a sheep, it's fourfold what you pay back. And so what, what was Zacchaeus saying through this? He was saying, Jesus, I've been hurting your sheep for all these years. And I want you to know, Jesus, that I'm changing and that I believe in you and I want to live differently. And so he had understood that he had even hurt God's heart. He had even hurt Jesus' heart, and he was just like, I want to make it right. I've been hurting your sheep. I've been hurting what you've cared about, and I just, I want to be one of your sheep now. So that's why he did four, he restored four, fourfold, because he'd already done half of his belongings to the poor, but he went above that and restored fourfold of what he has stolen. Side note, uh, you don't have to pray the sinner's prayer to get saved. You can pray it to get saved. There's nothing wrong with it. But Zacchaeus did not pray a prayer. And it says, today salvation has come to this house. And he too 
is a son of Abraham, meaning he is a son of faith. That's what being a son of Abraham means. It means you have faith. It means you believe. We had Ahu at Burning Man. And she was uh, Turkish. And Greg was out front barking at people. That's what we called, trying to get them to come in the camp. And she had a Turkish flag on her, on her bike. And uh, Greg was like, hey, you Turkish? She's like, yeah. He's like, I'm half Turkish. And they started talking. She brought her in. Me and Greg ministered to her. She was getting rocked by Jesus. We, she was just talking about all the men that at Burning Man were either trying to have sex with her or make her do drugs. And she's like, it's just empty here. She's like, it's empty. She's not, she has this, Jesus is not even on her map, okay? But she's just like, it's empty. They want either you do drugs or have sex with them. And I said, well, there's, there's a man who'll never betray you, he'll never leave you, he'll always respect you, he'll always honor you. He, he's always got your best interest in need. He sacrificed himself for you. He loves you. And went on and on about these things about Jesus. And I said, do you want to know who this man's name is? She said, yeah. I said, his name's Jesus. And she started crying again. She hugged me and Greg. And uh, everybody that came into our camp at Burning Man, we take their picture and we ask them to write a word to describe their experience. And uh, she took, we took her picture, and underneath her picture, she wrote, born again. We hadn't said one word about being born again. All we did was tell her who Jesus was and that he's not like any other man on the earth. She said, I feel like I've been born again. <laughs> so it's, that's what happened with Zacchaeus. And uh, Greg's dad had a similar experience where Greg's dad's a Muslim from Turkey, was a Muslim. <laughs> and he, Greg was telling him, he's like, Dad, you don't have to, you just cry out to Jesus and he'll save you. And so his dad got down by his bed one night in a, a good prayer form, you know, knees and nothing wrong with that. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And as the light in his room went off three times. Blinked three times. And he went. And then he said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The lights in his room went. He's, he's getting a little scared now, which is good. You need to fear God. And so. And he did it a third time. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> he went to bed <laughs> scared <laughs> in the fear of God. But when he woke up, he said he had joy like he had never had before. He calls Greg up. He's like, I want to go to church. I want to go to uh, that, uh, that, the man's church up at North Point. He says, I want to tell him I want to become a member of his society. <laughs> he didn't have the language. He didn't have the Christianese language. doesn't mean he's not saved. And so God, he comes. He says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be. Hallelujah. All right. All right. So you cannot renew your mind if you find value in the opinions of man. If your identity is found in the praise of man, it must be sustained by the praise of man. The kingdom of God is not advanced by good conduct. It's advanced by good beliefs. Jesus, Zacchaeus, did not care about man in that encounter between the, the two of them. Now, Zacchaeus had not done anything good to make Jesus recognize him up to that point. He only believed with a mustard seed of belief that he could encounter Jesus. And Jesus can't brought salvation. So his good beliefs preceded his good conduct. So, and then... Uh, a few weeks ago also, I just felt like the Lord said, I'm breaking the dam. And D-A-M-N. He's breaking the self-condemnation that we have that, that blocks the river of God. I just saw like a beaver dam that was full of logs. And these logs, trees and logs in the Bible represent the pride of man. You look in Isaiah, you look in Psalm 29. 
Most of the time, they represent the pride of man. That's why it says in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, he breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. And then it says what? After he breaks the pride of man, it says that he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. So the, the end of all God's actions with us is joy. Whether it's a rebuke, whether it's encouragement, the end sum is joy. Hallelujah. So somebody say, I believe. I believe. So he's breaking the dam of condemnation. Holy Spirit's not a lake, he's a river. And so Bill Johnson said, doesn't it honor him more when his children no longer see themselves only as sinners saved by grace, but now as heirs of God? Isn't it a greater form of humility to believe him when he says we are precious in his sight when we don't feel very precious? Say, I am precious to the Lord. Say, I am precious in his sight. So Zacchaeus broke the dam by believing what Jesus said about him. Zacchaeus' name actually means pure. So everybody else saw a greedy miser. Jesus saw an extravagantly generous man. He said that this man is actually pure of heart. When everything else would say otherwise. So I want you to stand up. You can close that out, Zach. I believe one of the greatest obstacles to evangelism is our own self-condemnation, is the disappointment we've had in ourselves. It may be disappointment that God was leading you to reach out to somebody in the marketplace and you didn't do it, and you got disappointed in yourself, you got discouraged, and you're just like, I'm just not going to try anymore, so you don't have to feel dis disappointed. <laughs> But when you're learning to ride a bike, if I'm teaching my kids to ride a bike and they fall off, I'm like, give up. I can't believe you did that. What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, man, that was good. Get on that back up out there. Let's ride it again, all right? And then it, I'm even like, well, let's go downhill. Like, make it a little easier for you. So Lord's like, hey, well, maybe, maybe let's. Let's start with just like telling somebody they got a great smile. That's good with me. We're at, I was just going through the drive-thru, and, and it starts with these little things. You just see, if you feel like, man, that person's got a great smile, just say, you got a great smile. Or this person feels like they, they got a lot of joy. You got a great, you got a lot of joy. You don't, you don't have to always tag it with Jesus on there. But it may lead to something where you get to, you get to introduce them to Jesus. And so that self-condemnation, the disappointment of like, I'm not, even the, the labeling of ourselves that I'm not an evangelist, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. I've been disappointed. I, I've, I've tried to reach out, and it's been a huge fail. It does not matter. That's the voice of condemnation. That's the voice of damnation. So we don't have any part of damnation for those who are in Christ. We don't have a part of it in eternity, and we don't have any part of it right now. Okay? That's heaven on earth. There's no condemnation. And so God's going to give us courage this morning because we're going to see ourselves in it differently. We're going to see, I'm, I'm learning how to ride a bike. I'm not going to be perfect at this. I'm learning how to ride a bike. And so when I fall off, I'm going to get back on. Some of us today, it's just a matter of getting back on the bike. That's all it is. Just get back on the bike. And so, Father, I just... just Extend your hands out. And let's do this. If you, hold on, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit for a second. Thank you, Lord. Just start worshiping the Lord, just thanking him for what he's doing. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Bless you, God. Bless you. All right. What I, what I see us doing is just, there was a, uh, there's a story Jesus told of a tax collector and a Pharisee worshiping in the temple. 
And the Pharisee said, Father, I thank you I'm not like this man. I tithe my mint, dill, and cumin. <laughs> and the tax collector said, Father, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. And said the tax collector walked away more justified than the Pharisee. But it said that tax collector was beating his chest. And so what I believe, God wants to give us the grace of humility. It's a grace. You don't have it in and of yourself. It's a quality of God. <laughs> and so what I want you to do is just, just beat on your chest. And just say, Father, give me humility. Give me humility, Father. We thank you for it, God. Just give us a humble and contrite spirit you will not despise, God. Help us climb the tree of humility. Thank you, Father. Help us climb the, the cross and get up on there and stay there. <laughs> because we trust that you will resurrect us, Father. You'll give us new life when we go up there. You can stop beating your chest. We thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, I break off self-condemnation right now. Father, I just declare a, a new mindset of like, Lord, I'm just going to get up back up on that bike. I'm just going to get back up on the bike. I release courage right now in Jesus' name. And I declare, get back up on the bike. Lord, break the dam of condemnation that keeps Holy Spirit from flowing through us. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah.